Here we are for another episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Thanks for sticking with us here. Really appreciate it. All you listeners who have been tagging along since the very first episode, uh, really, really appreciate your listenership. If this is your first episode, I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Our guest today is fantastic. Uh, So what is Stories of Gumption? We're having conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and in my opinion, just really, really impressive people. We have some sponsors to thank for their support. The first sponsor, been around since the very beginning. You have heard of them, if you've heard any of the podcasts thus far, Open Gate Farmstead. They are a stone's throw away from the mighty Osable River, and you've heard the slogan, happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I've bought a lot of eggs from them. They do a fantastic job with their eggs. Uh, They also have pork. I believe they have duck. They definitely have duck eggs. Those are fantastic. And uh, they have a fantastic YouTube channel. So if nothing else, check them out. Follow them on YouTube and uh, get the Farm Fresh difference. It's so much fun to watch their YouTube channel and see them figure things out. I love them. They're such salt-of-the-earth people. For sure. For sure. Open Gate Farmstead. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Do it. Just do it. We have another sponsor, Kavanaugh Realty. Really, really, really appreciate their support. We are blessed to have a lot of great real estate agents and brokers in the Adirondack region. But Kavanaugh Realty is really taking it uh, to the next level. They're doing a lot of good things. Uh, Galen Trombley uh, really did an amazing job for my wife and I helping us buy our very first home uh, several years ago. And uh, we can't thank him enough. He, he Local matters at the Shamrock. Exactly. Hashtag local matters. Check them out. All social media platforms. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Our third sponsor, uh, I'm really excited about this one, uh, Adirondack ADK Mindfulness. If you've listened to some of the previous episodes, you may have heard the episode with Dr. Sharon Thoreau. She's an amazing person, does some amazing work, and she just started a brand new LLC, Adirondack Mindfulness, and she's bringing her cream of the crop course to the area. It's an MBSR course. What's an MBSR course? It's a mindfulness-based stress reduction course. So it's going to be several weekends. You come in on a Saturday, go to Valcor Brewing, uh, and then at the end there's a retreat. It's going to take place like mid-November through the first weekend in January. Talk about something great to do when the weather starts getting cold. Treat your mind. Teach yourself how to be more mindful in your daily life. And uh, I've heard meditation is phenomenal for you. I saw an ad earlier this week for this. I'm very excited to go to see this. Yeah. No, I think I think it's going to be worth it. It's uh, It does come uh, for a price. You do have to pay to, uh, be, to register, but it's totally worth it. I have personally signed up. How about that endorsement? So I will be there. Join me at ADK Mindfulness at Valcor Brewing this winter starting in mid-November. You can check them out on the web at www.adk.com. Adirondack Mindfulness, all lowercase, all one word, dot com. www.adirondackmindfulness.com. They're enriching the lives of North Country residents through education, research, and the application of the science of moment-to-moment awareness. Sweet. 
Today's guest is phenomenal, ladies and gentlemen. We uh, talk about a lot of great things. He, he uh, honestly, I, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while uh, and for a wide variety of reasons, but uh, definitely fits into the entrepreneurial, creative thinker, and just really, really impressive people description of the podcast, in my opinion. But um, we talk a lot about his background in the beginning, but then we talk about his profession as a right-of-way uh, officer. Associate. Right-of-way associate, yep. Um, we talk a little bit about his stories of gumption, which are pretty unique. And then um, arguably, arguably my favorite part is just a really good conversation about his recent health transformation, total transformation. So uh, tune in for the next episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Enjoy. Gumption, defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, and shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. All right, today's guest, he's here. Uh, you heard the, the intro before the music. Isaac Giroux is here with us today on the podcast. Really excited about this. He's a jack of all trades, master of nothing, staunch libertarian, and the premier local right-of-way associate. Uh, here in the Adirondack region. He's also an ADKYP board member, Adirondack Young Professionals, uh, to which an organization that is very near and dear to my heart recently retired uh, myself, but glad to see uh, that organization still humming. Welcome to the podcast, Isaac Drew. Thank you, Ryan. And you are the reason that I am in the ADKYP and on the board. Yes, absolutely. And I take great pride in that because <laughs> one of the big things that I worked on the last couple months uh, while I was the president was just trying to help make sure that board was going to just hum like a well-oiled machine, which, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm not there anymore. But uh, certainly looks like you guys got a great group of people together. You did a great job setting everything up to move forward. And the new president, who's also in full disclosure, the owner of Open Gate Farmstead, mm -hmm. one of, one of, mm -hmm. um, really grabbed the bull by the horns and is moving this in a whole new direction at mock speed, like bullet train speeds. So look forward to a lot of events coming up from ADKYP in the local area to help the uh, college kids that are soon to be graduating, seeing as now school has started. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Another school year started. We're in almost in winter. I know. I know. <laughs> I was, I was uh, on a lunch hour uh, earlier this week, and time of the recording of this podcast, you probably see on your, your device or whatever you're listening, but it's early September, just after Labor Day. And it was like Labor Day came this year, and all of a sudden it was like... Like a light switch. Yeah. Change Last in temperature. I'm like, holy smokes, I got to wear a coat outside. Last Saturday, I was in a winter coat. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, and we'll probably talk about that because you've uh, you've lost a little insulation, my friend. A little bit, like, a, <laughs> like 140 right now. Yeah, 140 solid ones, solid pounds. That's great. Dude, I speaking of ADKYP, okay, so you remember how we first met? I do. I'll never forget that day because when I first met you, 
the first thing that popped through my head is this guy is going to be a huge pain in my ass. So many people say that. <laughs> and then for whatever reason, they love me. <laughs> I love you now, man. No, you're great. And uh, <clears throat> I think I, I love you for a wide variety of reasons. But I think one of the things that I admire the most about you is that uh, although I think we align in uh, some political beliefs uh, in such a hot mess political scheme that we are, a world that we're living in right now, you and I can literally sit down and have a conversation. Not even, it's not even, it doesn't even feel like an argument. It's just a conversation about politics. Leave with perspective, but also leave like agreeing to disagree and like still Still be great friends. Still respect you, the hell out of you. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that what the whole point of the the political system was supposed to be? I mean, not I'm, to make a, this a political podcast, but seriously. Yeah, not too much, even though I'm a staunch libertarian. So I'm as argumentative with the right as the left, but yeah. we need we need more conversation going on. There's we're in such a bad spot right now. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I love you. <clears throat> For another day. But I remember uh I met you at Vesco Ridge Vineyards at an 80KYP event. I'm not sure what inspired you to be there that day but i do remember it felt to me as the president at the time i don't know maybe three years ago uh this guy came guns a blazing he was gonna punch a hole in our organization's you know plan mission whatever he was gonna find where we were screwing up and i felt a lot of pressure that day i got dragged by a good friend of mine and uh, you know i like to participate in local nonprofits and help the community in any way that I can. And it interested me, you know, our buddy Scott, who's a mutual friend, um, said, Hey, this group is a bunch of young people that are trying to make a difference. So of course I got an idea in my head as I often do and showed up and Matt Craig, the current president of ADKYP. He's just a board member then, but he was still integral part of the whole thing. Absolutely. First one to introduce himself. And next thing I know, this Ryan Lee guy is coming over, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm the president of KYP. Do you have any questions? <laughs> and so I wanted to know, you know, what the what the goals of the organization were, what they've done for the local community in the not-too-distant past, what their goals for the community in the not-too-distant future, future were. And Ryan, even though you stumbled a little bit, I think, because you probably weren't used to people digging that deep. Nobody has ever asked me that many questions at a social gathering ADKYP event before, so it was great. You know, but I very shortly thereafter joined, so the answers were pretty good. You always are pretty good about coming up with, with an answer. No, that was great, man, and I <clears throat> I think I think that's a uh, – maybe that was a, a, a small, very small example of – uh, taking a, an opportunity that you maybe, for whatever reason, perceive as a negative or a pain in the ass or whatever I want to call it, and just turning it into a total net positive for your life. And that's what it was, for sure. Totally appreciate it and feel the same way. Absolutely. So uh, tell me quickly, give me the elevator pitch, because I don't want to focus all day on this, but I think it's important. Share with the listeners where Isaac Drew came from, your upbringing, and kind of how it led you to where you are today. I grew up in the Plattsburgh area on a dairy farm. 
my father and my uncle own a farm together. It's just outside of the city limits of Plattsburgh, next to McAdams Distributing. Um, I, I grew up working very, very hard in second and third hand clothes. And uh, I learned what a work ethic was at a very young age. When I my first day of kindergarten, I started milking cows. I was so excited to go to the barn that first morning. <laughs> Dad woke me up. He's like, "Get dressed, time to go." What time was that? Like four a.m. God. And uh, jump out of bed and you get any clothes and you're like, "What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do?" And you know, after a few weeks, it kind of loses its charm. <laughs> but um, I learned. You know, the most salt-of-the-earth people are usually the hardest workers. They're usually the most humble, and they're the, always the ones that work the hardest. And if you have a good work ethic and you can have a conversation with somebody, even if you disagree with them, it's going to get you further. In other words, honey gets you further than vinegar, you know? Yep. Uh, everybody's yep. heard that. And uh, when I became a teenager, I first thing I wanted to do was get off of the farm, and I took that first opportunity that I could. I think actually we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, um, okay. sure. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm. I mean, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell, like, can you tell when you see me there? Yeah. Ryan didn't grow up on a farm. No, here's the deal. You I have, feel like, you I have... feel like the work ethic, uh, from someone, anyone who I've ever met that, uh, worked on a farm, whether I could tell that they grew up on a farm or not. It's just, it's very clear to me that in my own anecdotal data collection way, I guess that, I mean, you clearly have a work ethic, right? Here's the deal. Yeah. I've known you for three years now and to wipe the brown spot off my nose a little <laughs> bit before I puff up my chest for you. Uh, you know, R Ryan, you, you and your wife do more for this community and are busier than anybody else that I know. You have a work ethic that if I had to guess if you grew up on a farm or not, I would guess that you grew up on a farm. Hmm. You work harder and do more and are more involved in this local area than anybody else that I know. So if I had to guess, I would say that you grew up on a farm and take that as a sign of respect because yeah. trust me, farmers work harder than anybody else. Yeah, no, and that's, I guess that was my point, is like to give farmers credit for the hard work that they do. But thank you for the, yeah, I mean, I didn't ask for that. I guess I'll have to pay you later, but <laughs> that, that was great. Uh, I, I didn't, I I don't know what to say. Thank you. That was, uh, I do volunteer a lot, and I think it comes from a good place. Uh, the way I was raised, I think it comes back to my roots um, of at a very early age, my parents getting me involved in programs like scouting and sports and music, and you sort of learn this mindset at a young age of balancing a lot of hats, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And, and that's and, a and privilege Lauren, that my parents drove me around to do all that, right? And Lauren, your wife? Same story. Same story. If you have not listened to her podcast on Stories of Gumption, go back and do so. She, it is the my favorite podcast of all of them that you've done. You've wow. done some, you've done some great ones, wow. but Lauren's is my favorite. I'm not surprised. I'm a little biased, but I'm not surprised. Anyhow, so <laughs> so you you get off the dairy farm. I'm sure you took some jobs, but today I just want to highlight on something that's very interesting to me before we get into sort of the gumption piece of the episode, but you're a right of way officer or associate. 
My technical title is right of way associate. I I, I don't know what that is, and I would be willing to bet most of the listeners have no idea what that is. Until you need me, you probably don't. Um, I work for a local utility company. Uh, my job is a right of way associate. After being on the job for approaching three years, shortly I'll be a right of way agent. Woo, agent, yeah. which is a which is the <laughs> pi- which is the pinnacle of the right of way pyramid. Um, if you're building a house and your neighbor has a pole and you don't have a pole and you need a pole to get power, I'm the guy that along with the engineering team at this local utility helps you to acquire power. Hmm. Um, I make sure that the utility personnel and equipment are protected uh, and done so through illegal means. And I make sure that you're able to get safe and efficient power as well, or natural gas. I work natural gas too, and solar and wind and the variety of every other um, renewable resource that we have in our area. Lots of that going on right now. It's great to see. That's really cool. So I would assume with all that positive that you just explained, there's probably some negative situations too. What happens if uh, someone builds where they're not supposed to? I'm just guessing that's you're the guy now that has to tell them they built where they're not supposed to, or how does that part work? <laughs> I, I show up to their house and say, I'm sorry that this happened, but here's our easement and this is what's wrong and it needs to come down or you need to stop building. It, it does happen. Thankfully, I will say that the majority of the people in the counties that I work, I work 15 New York counties, separate New York counties. I work wow, out, that's I, a lot. I work an enormous area, all of the eastern side of New York, abutting Vermont, and Massachusetts, and Connecticut. I work from top to bottom. Wow. Um, a lot of, most people, my phone never stops ringing. People call me and they're like, listen, I'm building a house. Can I put a driveway under the line? Yes. Um, building a garage, is this going to be a problem? Maybe. Let's discuss this a little yeah. further. Yeah. Depends on where you're putting it. It does occasionally happen where somebody says, okay, I'm going to do what I want. And then I show up and they don't like me at first. And we end up having an amicable relationship. I, you know, I, I try to treat everybody the way I would treat my parents. Mm. Um, I really strive to treat everybody with as much respect as I possibly can. I understand that you own the land. I also understand that there's rights that pre-exist you a lot of times, especially in the Plattsburgh area. It was um, Plattsburgh Gas way back in the day, and um, there there's easements that apply to hmm. the company that I work at all the way back into the late 1800s. Wow. So there's rights that have gone on for over a century now. It's really quite an amazing job. Wow. That's wicked. Well, I assume you didn't go straight from farm to right-of-way agent, which you'll soon be. But so maybe this is where the gumption comes in, I I would guess. Tell me what gumption means to you, Isaac. And then from there, maybe a story of gumption or two or three, depending on how many you have. So let's start with gumption. What's it mean to you? I'm curious. I think gumption is moving into the unknown with a fervor to accomplish a goal. Just to have the cojones to do something you're afraid of or hesitant to do. And it can be anything as little as 
go into a circus when you're afraid of clowns, you got the gumption. Mm. It can be something like what I did. I really wanted to travel the country, and after growing up on a farm and not having a lot of money, I saw an ad in the newspaper, I answered the ad in the newspaper, and I sold magazines door-to-door for a year. <laughs> okay, so you're, I want to I want to I want to break this down here. You're working for a farm. I would assume there's probably some family pressure to continue working for the farm. Uh, I would, I'm guessing. You could tell me I'm wrong if I am, but I would assume, you know, more hands on deck the better at the farm, and you want to probably retain your family members to work on the farm as much as possible. And you told your mom and dad, "Hey, I say this ad to sell." magazines i want to do that instead well i didn't know it was magazines okay tell me tell me this story because this is interesting now this is getting good (laughs) i I was 17 years old and i just i had this itch you know i got a soul for leaving as zach (laughs) brown puts it and um i saw this ad in the press republican and it said 18 to 24 years old travel the u.s wear blue jeans 500 dollars sign-on bonus and 500 bucks at that time in my life was like big bucks. Yeah. And uh, there was a 1-800 number on the bottom. And so I called this 1-800 number. <laughs> That's always a good sign. <laughs> a good sign. And this lady answered, and she's like, we're going to be at the Days Inn in Plattsburgh in this oh, conference yeah. room on this date at this time. Nice. And hung up the phone. Nice. That's definitely... So at Not least it was suspicious local. to me. At least it was local. <laughs> I knew where it was. Yeah, true. And okay. That's a real place. I know what they're talking about. Yeah. So I showed up. It's and not like a Happy Gilmore ninth green at nine kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I showed up and there was like 50 or 60 chairs in the middle of this conference room. There wasn't a beverage to be found anywhere. There was no coffee out. There was no water out. There was nothing. And we And everybody that was there sat there for like what seemed forever. It was like. 15, 20 minutes, nervous because nobody knew what this ad was about. But everybody showed up. For this area, the number of people that showed up I thought was astounding. That is astounding to me, actually. Yeah. (laughs) And this lady comes out of this door. She was gorgeous. Her name was Bryony. And she said, whose favorite color is blue? And everybody that raised their hand, she said, okay, you can leave. What? And so these people confused sat there for a minute and she was like, no, no, get up, get out. And so these people left and she went through these random, strange, weird series of questions before this group. This process lasted like 10 minutes. Wow. And at the end, I was alone in the middle of this room, surrounded by empty chairs, the only one left in the room. You were the only one. The only one. Everybody else was gone. They took one person. She's still standing in the front of the room. I'm in the middle of a series of empty chairs asking questions. So she's... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was strange. I still had no idea what was going on. She said, um, we're leaving Plattsburgh tomorrow. Can you be ready to move? And I was like, yeah. Why? Why? She goes, because we're moving next town. I was like, okay. She goes, I need to see your driver's license. So I showed her my driver's license, still not knowing what I had just signed up for. Wow. And she said, you're 17 years old? And I said, 
yep, for another two weeks. Hmm. And she said, okay, we can't take you until you're 18, but would you meet us on your 18th birthday? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? And um, so after I had signed up, quote unquote, signed up for the program, I learned that we would be selling magazine subscriptions door to door wherever the wind took us. Wow. I was essentially going to be a gypsy at 18 years old. Wow. Kind of reminds me of, uh, I, I mean, definitely different stories, but uh, did you ever listen to Amy Kretzer's podcast? Yeah. Yeah. She kind of this conversation of like reckless gumption versus well, professional or, you know, gumption, I guess. But this is definitely a little reckless. I but think, it's interesting. I think we I like all this. have that reckless point in our lives. Yeah. And if you learn from that reckless point, then you can start having that professional gumption. Mm, yep. Yeah. It's a growth. It's a growth. Everybody goes through it probably. Yeah. So let's continue with this reckless gumption story then. So you turn 18 and... Oh, way before this. Oh. I left that meeting. I left that interview and I went home and I told my mother, I said, in a week and a half, I'm packing a bag, I'm getting on a bus, and I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> and She probably laughed at you, didn't she? No. She didn't laugh. She la- didn't laugh. That's, that's not good. Kind of lost her mind. She's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and my mother, anybody that knows my mother, she is the nicest, most lovely woman in the world. I mean, she's just the nicest lady you'll ever meet. Everybody says that about their mother. Hi, mom. Love you. Yep. And uh, (laughs) so it took me a couple of days, but I had my mind made up. I was turning 18. There was nobody going to stop me. I went to the job that I had at the time, and I told my boss um, that I was leaving. I didn't quite have two weeks' notice to give him. Wow. He was a little angry at me. We're since okay. Okay. And um, on the morning (laughs) after my 18th birthday... My mother drove me to the Greyhound bus stop at like 3.30 in the morning, which was a, sort of a normal time for me still at that point in my life. Yeah. And um, left me at this bus stop. And uh, it took three days to get to Columbus, Ohio. I did not sleep a wink on that bus. I was remarkably tired on the way down. Wow. And when I got there, Briny met me and introduced me to Abel. Who you was a little freaking out a little bit or what? You just couldn't? Nope. You, you were excited so you couldn't sleep? or just, wh- No, no, no. I don't trust people. So uh, I just got it. I don't sleep when I'm traveling. I'm kind of a control freak. Yeah. And uh, she, Ab- uh, Briny introduced me to Abel Kellum, my new boss, and took me back to the hotel where I met the other 20-ish teenagers that I would be traveling with for the next year. And um, I did this dressed in a ACDC or Led Zeppelin t-shirt with a fire engine red mohawk jeans and a logging chain on my wallet. Mm, I'm seeing the, I'm painting a picture now. Yeah, pretty <laughs> punk. And um, the first day of work, they dropped me in this location in Columbus and said, go knock on doors and do what you're going to do. And the first door I knocked on, a dude put a handgun in my face. Oh my gosh. And um, I backed away and apologized and went and sat on the corner at the stop sign and waited the two hours for the van to roll around to pick me up. And (laughs) they were a little angry that I didn't sell a thing. And uh, of course I knocked on my first door. I didn't have a chance to sell anything. Yeah. Right. And, um, 
they had put me in a color that was against the gang in that neighborhood on purpose mm-hmm. to see if I would just flake out or if I was going to last. Wow. And I got adopted by this <clears throat> Samoan guy named Pat who told me that people don't answer the door for criminal-looking types. And he took me to TJ Maxx and bought me red and yellow and orange T-shirts, and they sh- we shaved my head. So the mohawk left, and I started wearing, like, golf shorts. And instead of work boots, I was wearing sneakers. So I looked like any teenager I could have fit in anywhere at that point. And people started answering their doors for me. Nice. And for a year, I just went door to door and learned all about people and picked up the social skills that I lacked growing up on the farm. Wow. That's amazing. So... I mean, what what was some of the most unique like experiences you had selling magazines? I mean, where'd you go? What people say to you? What'd you do? Like, t- tell me some more. This is crazy. So this was at this weird little time in the United States of America. The Supreme Court had this case in front of them about solicitation, and um, some towns had laws against solicitation. But the Supreme Court had just decided that solicitation was not a crime. Like, you could not be arrested for going door to door. So some communities, police would come, and you'd have a police interaction for solicitation. Of course, and when you think of solicitation, what do you think of, right? Yeah. You're not thinking about some kid selling magazines door to door. Right. And um, so sometimes you'd get taken into the police department, and sometimes you just get a talking to. And there was a couple of places in Texas where some of our crew got beat up quite bad. Oh, wow. And law enforcement pointed firearms at some of our crew, and uh, mostly from Texas Rangers, the older <laughs> ones. Jeez. And um, it was just this, it was this crazy, crazy experience. There were other magazine crews that would go around, and they'd, like, slash your tires to prevent you from making the sales, and so they could make the sales. And then we did Fourth of July in Branson, Missouri, 18 years old, drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels with Pat on a boat that ended up not belonging or being rented by Pat, which I didn't know at the time. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, so there was all kinds of stuff. There's there's actually a movie called American Honey that has Shia LaBeouf in it, which is about magazine sales. Interesting. And it's almost entirely accurate to <laughs> what I did. As wow. a magazine salesperson. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And if you didn't sell magazines, they'd leave you wherever. You quit. It was up to you to find your way home. Didn't matter where in the U.S. we were. I went from Plattsburgh, New York. We hit all the way down the west coast of Florida, all the way down the southern part of Texas through Arizona, New Mexico. I did not make it into California at all, but I ended my trip in... Um, Washington and Oregon area right along the border before I told them ahead of time that I needed to be home for a certain date. I gave it a one-year time period, and I took a Greyhound bus trip that lasted over a week, and I didn't sleep, and it was horrible (laughs) all the way home. Because you don't trust people, and you have to stay awake. Because you got to stay awake. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. So Thank God for airplanes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) So now that you've... Uh, had your uh, experience in seems like pretty intense sales environment. 
what made you, are, are, you didn't continue with sales or what? I mean, seems to me like there's certain people who just, they have this revelation that, holy smokes, I'm actually a salesperson. Like, this is what I do. Now, there's a lot of different ways to be a salesperson, right? You could sell magazines. You could sell uh, paper, Dunder Mifflin. You could sell insurance, like myself. There's lots of different kinds of insurance. You could sell uh, printers, cars, whatever. There's all sorts of kinds. But, I mean, sales certainly, I guess where I'm going with this is sales has so many career opportunities to it. Uh, and you did or didn't continue with sales? I sold everything you can name and more. <laughs> when I got back, I needed a job, and um, I saw another ad in the Press Republican, and I sold Cutco knives for a while. I did really, really, really well with Cutco. Hmm. Um, World of Science in the mall, I sold more telescopes than any other employee in that entire company during one particular Christmas season. Um, I worked at Mountain Valley Teleservices for a while and sold the heck out of Lucidol and mail enhancement and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> there you go. Um, and just further developed my social cues. Like I learned not only to read a person face to face, but also their vocal tone over a telephone, which has made me really, really, really good at what I currently do. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of years working in kitchens I really enjoyed working the heat, um, as it's called in the back of the house. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed food, as you see from the larger picture of me. On there's the, two pictures on the front you know, cover. You're probably saying, who are the two dudes on the front, right? <laughs> the, they're both me. Um, the bigger guy really, really enjoyed working in kitchens for obvious reasons, as you could probably guess. You probably don't have to dig too far to guess the appropriate <laughs> reasons. And the... Uh, other guy, um, you know, I have decided that it's a, a change of lifestyle was absolutely necessary, and I did that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about that because that's a big portion that I want to get to in this conversation because I feel like there's a lot of different layers to that whole decision, that process. Uh, tell me about the switch, the mental switch that must have occurred suddenly to go from like, okay, enough is enough to I'm, I'm really going to do something. It wasn't overnight. It was over the course of probably about three years, probably about since the time actually, Ryan, that I met you. Um, hmm. I have some local friends that have undergone different gastric procedures. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of them. Yeah. And... There's a couple of them that I met 20 years after I knew them and were completely different people than when I did know them. Didn't recognize them? Or didn't recognize wow. them. Uh, same people, same shit-eating grins in some yeah. cases, yeah. Kyle. <laughs> um, just but completely different lifestyles and just had made this complete 180 from where they were. And I started asking my friends questions and – you know, it became something that I was thinking about, but it was never really something that I was committed to. And then on February 14th, 2019, Valentine's Day, um, my doctor called me and he's like, listen, whatever you're doing right now, you need to put it down. You got to get into the doctor's office immediately. And um, I called my boss and I was like, 
listen, my doctor just left me this really ominous message on the phone, and he's like, get in here ASAP. And she's like, hey, health before all else. I remember, I remember that day. I feel like whether it was the exact same day or a couple days later, I feel like I remember you telling me about that. Well, I went into the doctor's office, and, and I've had sleep apnea and high blood pressure for a lot of years. Yeah. But he told me that my average blood sugar was over 500, <sighs> that I was definitely diabetic, Holy smokes. I know that a lot of like basic first aid meters uh, test like max out at 600 plus. Like you're at 600 or higher. It's just it's like, sorry, it doesn't read it. It's just like 600 plus. So that's, that's well, crazy. It's really, really high. Yeah. And um, I was leaving for vacation the next morning, actually in the middle of that night, flying out of Plattsburgh on a spirit flight down to Fort Lauderdale. And he's like, you should cancel this. And I was like, there's no way I'm going on vacation. <laughs> Patch me up, send me back to battle. That's that. Your annual cruise, right? My yeah. annual vacation. Yeah. This year it was a cruise. Sometimes it's a cruise. Sometimes okay. it's a resort. It's usually out of South Florida, and it's always in the middle of winter. <laughs> and it's always awesome. <laughs> and it's always fantastic. <laughs> but this one must have been different. This one was really, really different. Um, I didn't enjoy myself as much as I used usually do because obviously I had health concerns. But... I'm very lucky because I cruise with this group of good friends, and one of them is a, was a local nurse. She's recently moved, her and her boyfriend moved to Las Vegas, and she's a nurse in Las Vegas now. But she's not only a nurse, but a diabetic. So mm. she kind of helped walk me through the week a little bit, and she's like, yeah, mimosas at breakfast, probably not a great thing at this point. That's all sugar. Yeah. Or mojitos, not the best choice. Or that 18-ounce bone-in ribeye is not the best choice. And it was about the second day of the cruise where I was like, after she's telling me this, my mind just went snap. I, I knew what I needed to do. I started changing my lifestyle on, uh, we weren't even in the middle of the cruise this year. And... Um, I have been going ever since. I was 360 at my heaviest weight. Mm -hmm. I sit here today. I weighed myself this morning. I'm 214 pounds. Wow. And <laughs> we're talking from the end of February of 2019, and we're currently in September. A couple days into September. Yeah. So I've made some really, really, really big changes. So for me and maybe a lot of the listeners i feel like it might be kind of a pointed targeted question might be a little probably very easy for you to answer but i would like to know sort of why surgery versus diet and exercise there are some people that do very very well on diet and exercise and nothing against any of those folks but most of us, normal people, mm -hmm. have dieted and exercised over and over and over and over and over and over and over over however many years. Yeah. And you lose some weight and you feel good for a hot minute. And, and gain then you it back. Gain it back plus. Yeah. And the more I looked into the option of gaining the tool of a gastric bypass um, over the last three years, 
right after probably February 16th, I decided that that was the option that I needed in order to save my life. Yeah. So uh, it was certainly more of a drastic situation. Yeah. I mean, I was at the end of my chain. My doctor was telling me in two years, you're going to be dead if you don't do it. I feel like I remember that conversation. I feel like you, you referenced something about like your doctor saying, yeah, my, my blood is basically sludge. Yep. I think that happened at Valcor. Yes. I remember pulling you aside one night and saying, listen, I really have not told anybody this. It was you, probably Meg Whedon and Tyler, maybe, Hargraves. Yeah, I mean, it was a very personal thing to share, but, I mean, that's crazy. You know, we all kind of live, I feel. I mean, I feel like we all live our lives kind of in this, well, either that's, maybe that'll be me, but probably not me, like, let me, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And we just, I, I mean, I know I do that. I do that. It's like, ah, it's, I'm, I'm not, it's not that bad for me. I'm not, I'm not that unhealthy or that, you know. I have to say things out loud. When I say it out loud, it's like being carved into stone or written onto paper, right? Yeah. And so it was really important for me with people that I trust to tell them, what was going on. And it's really not something at that time in my life that I wanted to announce and share with everybody. Yeah. I'm here today because if this podcast helps one person live 10 years longer, then I'm cool with everybody knowing what I've gone through. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, great point. I mean, I mean, I remember at the time kind of thinking like, holy shit, like how do, how do I help my friend? You know, I mean, I don't know how I really don't. I mean, um, I knew that a mental switch needed to happen and it sounds like it did. So you, you, you've made the decision February 14th, you get the call from your doctor, February 16th, you sort of make this decision like in the middle of the Caribbean, in the middle of the Caribbean sea and you get back from vacation and I assume it's not like, all right call your doctor, sign me up, like, let's do this thing. There's a process. Well, that's kind of how I thought it would go, right? (laughs) I went and saw my, he's been, my primary has been talking to me about surgery for a couple of years because I've asked a few questions and I was a big boy. Mm -hmm. I was husky, as they said in the 80s. You wore some freaking awesome shirts, though, that I assume you had to give away or something. But they were expensive. Man, those those were freaking fancy. If they fit me, I would have bought them from you. I enjoy nice clothes. <laughs> part of part of part of the growing up with the second and third hand, I really I enjoy good colognes and I enjoy really nice clothes. Yeah, those are my vices. Um, well, hold off on buying all your fancy clothes until you get to your your oh, final weight because it seems like you keep losing weight every time I see you. But so fast, <clears throat> it's crazy. I bought a pair of thirty fours last night. That's my waist size, by the way. Everybody, Isaac Drew's got the same waist size as Ryan. That's it's crazy. Good, good for you, brother. That's freaking great. In February, I was wearing a 46, just so people wow. out there have some sort of like 46 com- comparison. to 34. That's in three and a half months or five that almost months seems, or whatever. That almost seems too fast, but we, we may we can dive into that. It's but fast. but t- so I asked the question about the process. Walk me through the process. So I went to my primary and I said, listen, I've made up my mind. It's something that I need to do. And he said, okay, sooner is better than later. 
He said, we haven't started you on insulin yet. If we start you on insulin, chances are you'll be on it forever. But if we get this surgery completed and your diabetes under control with oral medications before we have to start you on insulin, chances are the diabetes goes away entirely. So within 10 days, I went to see Dr. Hill in Saranac Lake, who is a great surgeon, and many of my friends have gone to see him. And I was in a room with 20 other people that were considering surgery. And I went to sign up for my first appointment at the end. And they're like, does your insurance cover this? And I just sort of assumed that I'm paying for insurance. Why wouldn't it? Obesity is a disease. Now it's considered a disease. Yep. And so why wouldn't they pay for something that will save them money in years to come? Yeah, right. And so I called my insurance, and they essentially told me that if I was on my deathbed and gastric bypass was the only thing that would save my life, they wouldn't pay a penny of it. So I was in this weird spot, and I'm like, well, what the heck do I do? And um, I'd been saving up some money to put a down payment on a house. Sorry, Galen. (laughs) And, uh, you know... It was more important to find an option that I could afford and to look elsewhere instead of to give up. So many people today, whether it's with their job or their home life or whatever, they aren't in a place they're happy and they just give up instead of finding a new solution. And I refuse to lay down and die. I I just refuse to do it. Yeah. I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Yeah. And um, I looked at seven different countries. (laughs) And after I decided Mexico was the right country. Interesting. I interviewed 17 different surgeons uh, over the telephone. I spent hours and hours and hours in the middle of the night. Wow. Interviewing surgeons. And I put together a spreadsheet on Excel, which thank God for Excel. (laughs) Yeah, thank God for Excel. Right, exactly. And um, I decided on the surgeon that I finally decided on and then i interviewed the management at six different hospitals and decided on the hospital and found out that the surgeon that i chose not only has privileges at the hospital that i chose but he's one of the head surgeons at the hospital that i chose and then I interviewed anesthesiologists and I built my surgical team it was a la carte i i paid for everything but I wanted the best that I could afford, and that's yeah. exactly what I did. Wow. The surgeon called me. He's awesome guy, Dr. Hector Perez out of Tijuana, Mexico. Speaks English, top of his class, Harvard. Did his fellowship in Houston. And um, I got so involved in this that I watched dozens of these surgeries being performed online I'm such a control freak. Well, yeah, I feel like I I would have to do something similar just to make myself feel comfortable with the whole thing. I mean, that's a daunting process and procedure. Oh, it took months. It took months before I booked. I mean, I I interviewed this guy like a dozen times before I was finally comfortable enough to say, you're the guy I want to knock me out and cut me up. Yeah, exactly. And And then I finally chose him and I called Dr. Perez and I was like, listen... I really want this specific brand of surgical staple. And he's like, well, I use this brand. And I was like, okay, would you use the brand I want? And he's like, yeah. Wow. So 
I got the brand surgical staple that I chose instead of the brand he normally uses. And then I said, I really want the this X brand of sutures instead of what I know that you told me that you use. Would you do that? And he said, he yeah. He did so I'll, much research. I'll use the type of sutures that you want. And wow. then I, I asked him what type of laparoscope he uses, laparoscope for his surgeries. And I said, if I buy you a new one, would you use it? So I bought him a new laparoscope. And um, so the day I finally met him, I, I really, I felt like I've known him for years. Yeah. And uh, he That's wild. He comes walking in and he's like, he was all happy. He's like, you are the one guy that didn't cheat the entire time on your pre-op diet. I just <laughs> know this from your psyche. And I was like, not only did I not cheat, but I did it for twice the amount of time. I was required to do it. What is the pre-op diet? So fat people, well, most people, but fat people especially have what's called a fatty liver. Mm -hmm. And your liver kind of has a section that lays over your duodenum, which is your upper part of your small intestine and your stomach. Mm -hmm. And it's really heavy when it's fatty. And so the pre-op diet helps to shrink the fatty liver um, mm. so that it's out of the way so that the surgery team doesn't crack your liver. You don't bleed to death, um, so that it's lighter. It's easier to work around. And knowing this, having watched all of these surgeries and seeing people that clearly did not follow the pre-op diet yeah, and people that did, I knew that this was, was important. It was important. And, um, so I was supposed to do it for three weeks and I did it for a month and a half and so in, what is it i mean like it what was per day you get to low fat eat, high protein uh, okay as many raw fruits and vegetables as i wanted except for corn carrots and peas because they're high in sugar no sugar uh, no sodas no caffeine yeah no caffeine uh, no alcohol ah! no alcohol i cheated on one day um you were there it was a glorious day yeah um the day before your your pre-op diet starts they they call it your food funeral is what it's known as i called mine my last supper comma lol <laughs> i invited a hundred of my best friends um a hundred of my friends to join me at a restaurant called sip kyle dyer the owner uh, is also a bypass patient yeah who has helped me immensely through this process and uh it's a good dude I've met we, him several times. We drank beers and ate food and just celebrated life. And then the next day I went right back on the diet as if nothing happened. And um, I was, my pre-op diet went very, very well. Um, Kyle, there wasn't a requirement to see a shrinker or nutritionist, but uh, I thought both of those would be probably a good move. As I'm mm. very headstrong, I thought a psychiatrist would be an important step for me. And yeah. it turns out now being three and a half months post-op, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah. And um, seeing a nutritionist was super important because I'd have been lost otherwise. Yeah. And my psychiatrist told me, she said, you're probably going to have body dysmorphia. So, well, you, Ryan, see me losing weight. When I look in the mirror, I don't see a difference. Interesting. And um, as you can probably see on the picture on the front of this episode, there is quite a difference. And I can see the difference between those two side-by-side -side photos. But looking in a mirror, I see myself as I was. Hmm. And um, so I've res I'm resuming um, 
my psychiatry appointments for that very reason. That's interesting. It, it makes me raise the question too of like, so you had a psychiatrist uh, working with you, but you must have had a lot of support. I had tons and tons of support. Um, like I'm, I feel like you can't get through something like that on yourself by yourself. Like if any listeners are considering a major life change or even surgery like this, I feel like you gotta gotta create your support team, right? There's so many people in this area that have undergone procedures of one sort or another for gastric bypass. It, I mean, it's crazy. Just the people in your life that you know that you've known for less than five years, probably like. Five percent of them <laughs> have gone through gastric. It's crazy. The numbers are astounding. Um, you would never guess that a lot of these people have gone through gastric bypass. So just not keeping it to yourself, but having a conversation with your mm. friends and family. Oh well, so and so had it. Okay, so you go talk to that person. Mm-hmm. I'm a little lucky in that I knew somebody before I made the decision that did, and then it turns out that I knew two dozen others. Yeah. And I knew people that have had each of the different gastric procedures. So I could ask them their personal experiences and decide on which one was the best option for me. And I did. I just, I decided that the gastric bypass, the ruin why was the best decision for me, but it's not the surgery that I got. Interesting. So something happened in Mexico or something happened last, but what happened? I really, I really like to tell people that I went to Mexico and they stole three of my organs and kicked me out because <laughs> <laughs> what? that's what everybody assumes happens, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Dr. Perez came in, he palpated my stomach and ran the pre-surgery exams and said, your liver is in perfect condition. As far as I can tell, you're going to be in and out. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You're going to be a piece of cake. And I'm lucky that I work in a legal field and have a legal studies degree that I knew how to write a U.S. durable power of attorney and medical proxy. And then I researched Mexico and wrote a medical proxy and durable power of attorney that was legal in the U.S. and Mexico and made my sister's boyfriend, Grayson, my medical proxy. And he was scared to death, and rightfully so. Yeah. And when we got there, when I got out of surgery, I was in recovery, and nobody said a word to me. I mean, not a word. And they rolled me back into the to the room, uh, the hospital room, and I looked at Grayson, and I was still groggy from the anesthesia, and I said, did everything go as planned? And he went, Casper the ghost white and his eyes got as big as dinner plates (laughs) and and he's like no they couldn't do the surgery and i grayson is a wonderful human being yeah but he's super super shy yeah and i thought he had finally grown i thought he'd finally gotten some gumption yeah (laughs) and, and was um screwing with me and so i was like okay cool and he, it took him 10 minutes to convince me that it didn't go right, that there was surgical complications. And, Holy um, smokes. So he finally convinced me he was telling me the truth. Of course, the morphine did not help in the slightest. Right, right. And um, not something that I'm used to. It's not something that I do usually. Very Dude, I, I, I had a, a surgery on my left forearm from ice hockey. I snapped that sucker right in half. It was bad. It was gross. I'll bet you and, were hilarious. And I was on morphine, and 
it's just a different thing, man. It's weird. It's it like, is weird. It's weird, and it it lingers. When you're a control freak, and then you're out you of have no control, no control, no control. You must have loved that. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> so what was the ch- what was the change? What was the la- what happened, and what was the last minute change they had to make in your procedure? So my my organ cavity was full of fat. Most people's organ organs are suspended by a series of tendons and fluid. Yep. Anybody that's butchered an animal or opened an animal knows what an organ cavity looks like. Organ cavity. Yeah. Mine, my organs were entirely encased in fat. They actually cut seven pounds of fat out of me to expose my duodenum in my lower stomach. Wow. To give you an example of that, four pounds of butter, that's 16 sticks of butter, is the size of one pound of fat. Holy shit. So it was a lot. Shit. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. And so although your liver was in phenomenal shape, they had some work to do. They had a lot of work way. to do. I was under for a lot of hours. Actually, they had to cancel somebody else's surgery, unfortunately, because mine took so long. Wow. And Dr. Perez came and told Grayson normally when they would see that. At a, just to give you an idea of how rare this is, Dr. Perez has performed 32,000 bariatric surgeries. Wow. And I'm only the third one of these he's ever seen. Wow. There's no tests they can do. It's super rare. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's a genetic thing. It's just is what it is. There's wow. No, no, and so normally I would no assume blame. they just sew you back up and be like, sorry. So that's exactly it. So they would normally sew you up, wake you up, and say, listen, we made a note in your medical chart. You will unfortunately never be getting surgery. Yeah. Because the compli- risk of complications is so high. And um, he told Grayson, he said, listen, I have had two dozen conversations with Isaac at this point. I'm convinced that if I don't do a surgery of some sort, he will do it to himself in a bathtub. And I'm convinced he has the knowledge to do it. So I ended up getting what they call the gastric sleeve instead of the ruin Y. And um, Grayson very tentatively asked me if that was an okay change and still being under the influence i was like yep we're good (laughs) and um it turned out to be a great decision um in the long run i i i'm just i'm blessed to be where i am yeah i'm down almost 140 pounds total um that little example of gumption but risky gumption i suppose by your doctor arguably saved your life yeah 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 i'm entirely off of all of my diabetes medications my blood sugar average is 84 wow i'm off of cholesterol medications you went from 500 to 84 from over 500 north of to an average of 84 good for you dude um my sleep apnea I need to go get reevaluated for that. I'm on one quarter of a pill for of lisinopril for blood pressure now. So I'm almost entirely off of medicines in, completely, mm. entirely. Yeah. And um, I don't see any of it. So how did I you, feel wh- who was the first person you called once you came to? So I, I tried to call my mother because she's a worrywart. As yeah. You probably know by now. And um, I have... Verizon and I paid for service in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Couldn't make a phone call. 
at all. And my mother is... So in, everybody's officially freaking out. Now. Everybody... She Back went, home. They're she, like, he hasn't called, he hasn't called, tur- turns, he hasn't out, called. <laughs> turns out she went to lunch with one of her friends and left her phone in the car. So Okay. Yeah. It was concerned, but not concerned. Yeah. You know, it's Grayson's problem. Yeah. And uh, Grayson had a problem. Yeah. And he handled it like a champ. Thank you, Grayson. And um, Well done, sir. Yeah, well done. And uh, the funny thing is, is, I had Wi-Fi access, so I tried to call my mother via Facebook Messenger. Mm-hmm. But my mother is in her mid sixties, and <laughs> and, God, and God bless her soul. Yeah, sure. I mean, she like really tries to keep up on technology, but she's not quite there. So she didn't know what the hell was going on with her phone. She's <laughs> like, I hear it ringing. I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> so she's talking to my sister, who is in San Diego over the border from Mexico and had perfect cell phone service because she wasn't in Mexico. And um, my sister's like, yeah, he's trying to call you via Facebook is what it sounds like. And she's what do you mean he's calling me over Facebook? You send messages, <laughs> right? So she finally answered, and I got to talk with my mother, but it was several hours after the surgery, and, and uh, everything was good um, after that. And I, I let her know that... Dr. Perez had come in and told me that he really wanted to watch my surgery with me. And she almost lost her mind. She's like, why would you watch your own surgery? But that's exactly what we did the day after. Him and I, 11 p.m. West Coast time. Wow. Sat in my hospital room and plugged his laptop into the TV and watched my surgery from A to Z. That must be weird seeing your own organs. It was strange, but he told me, he's like, listen, the minute I open you up and I expose your organ cavity, you're going to know exactly what the issue was. And I did too. I have butchered enough animals after growing up on a farm that he popped five holes in me and I saw the scope go in and get through the muscle tissue wall and into the organ cavity and just hit the sea of fat. And I was like, that is completely not normal. And he's like, see, I told you. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Funny guy. Wow. I imagine that's a relationship, whether you talk to or not, that will always be of the utmost value and importance to you. I still talk to him about twice a month. We're at about twice a month right now. But he could call me tomorrow and tell me he needed help and I'd be on a flight ASAP. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So I I guess my last real question about this and maybe it'll uh, promote more questions. I'm not sure. But uh, now, here you are, sitting in Plattsburgh. You're losing weight like crazy. What kind of changes have happened in your lifestyle that good, bad, you like, you don't like? I'm curious. What's life like for Isaac now? Strangest thing in the world is when somebody you've known for 20 years but haven't seen in five does not recognize you. (laughs) the first time it happened i was like dude are are serious it's me and he's like and who the hell are you and i'm like me look at my face he's like i am and i finally had to tell him it's isaac and he's like isaac who and i'm like jeru and he's like oh holy shit (laughs) (laughs) and so it was kind it was really quite a mind trip like 
more of a mind trip than you would anticipate it to be. But yeah. most people never have this issue. And it's happened, I don't know, a dozen times over the last three months. Not really three months. I'm going to say like five weeks. Yeah. Because... Losing, now it's getting like, real drastic if they like haven't seen you. 10, 12 pounds a week on average is really where I'm sitting. Jesus. And that's, I mean, that certainly seems n- not normal for someone who didn't have surgery. But because you've had surgery, that's... It isn't normal if you've had surgery. Holy smokes. I'm losing a lot of weight really, really fast. Are you concerned that you're losing too much weight too fast? My blood results so far are pretty good. Uh, my vitamins and minerals are good. My collagen's good. Everything seems to test fine right now. So there's not really a massive concern other than the fact that I'm, you know, I'm losing remarkable, I mean, absolutely ridiculously fast. So I have a significant amount of loose skin, and that will probably require a separate surgery to remove mm-hmm. at a later date. Um, but it's, it's just crazy. Like I posted my first side-by-side picture, um, a little over three months post-op and I'm on some bariatric support groups on Facebook and people were just losing their minds at how fast I've lost weight. I, I still talk with the three girls I had surgery with the same day at Oasis of Hope in Tijuana with Dr. Perez and they're all losing study and they're, they've all had post-surgical complications and they all haven't lost as much weight and I haven't had any post-surgical complications at all and I'm losing remarkable ridiculous amounts of weight and I have energy and so I'm I'm just absolutely as blessed as could be for the situation that I'm in that's awesome so you feel great you're losing weight it's like all the cards are just falling in place which is kind of scary that's awesome that, well, shit, man! You're wearing a 34 waist. That's and a large shirt from a 5x to a large. God, you're wearing a see. So, well, now you have permission to buy bougie, sweet, awesome clothes, and tell me where you get it so I can. I always wear bougie clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, dude, that's that's fantastic. So, uh, like, what is what is your like typical day? Just real quick question here. Like, what is your typical day? diet now like i assume you're limited on a lot of things and will those limitations go away eventually or i do not eat bread potatoes rice corn peas i eat a few carrots now and again. heavy carbs are bad yeah i don't eat any hardly any carbs i'm at about i recently got in trouble with my nutritionist i'm averaging about 350 to 375 calories a day I'm supposed to be about four fifty five hundred right now. Um, I was at about five total carbs a day. That's um, subtracting fiber from the amount of carbs in erythrol, like fake sugar, alcohol sugars and stuff. Um, so I was at like five total carbs, but I need to be at about 15 total carbs a day. So I'm still making adjustments in my That's diet. wild. Yeah, but... If I go less than... 2,000 calories a day, I'm feeling it. I'm hurting. Yeah, but my stomach is the size of your thumb. Like, it's a lot of work to eat 400 calories a day for me. Interesting. And get my water. That's wild. So you have a liquid uh, requirement, too. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you don't eat, drink enough water, you pass out. Well, so. I assumed, I assumed, so it's more of like uh, hard to drink enough liquid versus like you don't have a cap on 
my quits. No, it's easier to meet my liquid goals, but on the days I meet my fluid goals, I don't meet my protein goals. <laughs> and on the days I do meet my protein goals, I don't meet my fluid goals. So I try to do Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays for liquids, <laughs> and Tuesdays and Thursdays for protein. And on the weekend, it's just kind of, I don't really think about it. Wow. Well, dude, as a friend and like a colleague, I suppose, from nonprofits and all these other sorts of things, like, dude, it's been awesome to see this transformation for you. Uh, I can clearly tell you're happy, energetic. You still got that goofy ass Isaac smile. (laughs) You're just super skinny now. And you got this goatee thing that makes your face look like longer and skinny. And I'm just like, damn, good for you, brother. Shaved my beard last night. I haven't seen my face in years. I'm like, I got to look at it. I've already started growing the new beard back. (laughs) But just anybody listening, if it's something you're considering, please feel free to reach out to me. The spelling of my name is on this podcast. Yep. I will happily help anybody answer any questions or provide any support that I can to anybody that has any questions or wants any help. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something that uh, a lot of people do consider uh, and maybe don't take the plunge, and maybe it's not right for them. But uh, I think there's also a really good lesson about sort of making a decision to change your life and maybe yours required surgery, but to, to change isn't just a, a short-term thing. You really have to be like, you have to, you have to commit to the long-term lifestyle change. If you truly want the change you're desiring. Oh, this is definitely not the right decision for a lot of people. I mean, it's just not, and it is a lifetime commitment. I have, Made up my mind that I will never eat rice again. I love sushi. Mm. I'm never going to have a piece of sushi again. I love French fries. I will never eat another French fry. I have, in full disclosure, (laughs) licked a French fry. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Um, but, (laughs) But. Where was the French fry from? I was in Boston for my birthday a few weeks ago. So and it was a fancy French fry. They looked delicious. No, they were normal French fries, but they just really looked quite substantially delicious. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll certainly put in some some contact information for anybody who's interested in connecting with you. You certainly have a amazing story of gumption, and uh, I'm excited to watch it continue. We're sort of in the middle of this one, I'd say. Let's move on to the stories of gumption rapid fire section i am ready and super excited (laughs) (laughs) there's that goofy smile i wish you all could have seen that that isaac's got a smile that is recognizable from a mile away and i love it question number one what's a book that you would gift to a friend and why it's a book by a man named john perkins called diary of an economic hitman it's a nonfiction sort of fiction story. That's It's a nonfiction story that was embellished a little bit. Okay. And it's about how the CIA interacts with third world countries and the World Bank to provide loans to countries that they can't pay back. And they extort these countries out of all of their natural resources in order to reacquire the funds that these countries never asked for. Um, 
uh, as a libertarian, it absolutely disgusts me the way that we um, interact with many countries around the world. Mm. And that is definitely a book I would recommend for anybody that wants to enlighten themselves. I've written it down. Diary of an Economic Hitman Yeah, by John Perkins. I got it. All right. I love it. Question number two. It's a very interesting question, uh, considering the subject matter of this podcast. But if you could only have one more meal, that's it. What would it be? I had my last supper, come LOL. <laughs> it was at SIP on May 3rd, 2019, surrounded by 100 of my best friends. If that was the day that I died, I'd have died happy. Yeah. I feel like I also remember from that night. You remember uh, that? Oh, yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. I uh, was proud to celebrate alongside you, my friend. But I feel like there was an affiliation towards chicken wings. Chicken, I still like chicken wings. I, I occasionally, I, I get to eat a chicken wing, sometimes two, depending on how big they are. Wow. That's like sort of my cheat food. I like that. But if I eat a chicken wing, it, yeah, I'm full. Shout out to Sip. Great great chicken wings sip has the best chicken wings in the area mm, very good sip happens sip happens <laughs> <laughs> that's for you kyle dyer number three what's one of the best decisions you've ever made and why and maybe we just talked about it for an hour but you tell me what's one of the best decisions you've ever made in your life and why all of the mistakes that i made it's not one mm. if you have a mis- an error and you have a negative consequence and you learn from it, then it isn't an error or a mistake. It's a positive. And all of your mistakes lead you to where you are today. Um, any one of those mistakes that I made, had I not learned from it, I may not have made the decisions I've made where I am today. Hmm. That resonates with me, man. I think, I think um, life is all about failing sometimes and I can think of a bunch of times where I failed and uh, when I didn't take the right attitude and I did not gain from it. But more recently in life, I think as I've just matured a little bit more and I've rationalized the opportunity in a failure, I have totally gained from failure and mistakes. And it's I that resonates with me. It's a good answer. Yeah. Question number four. If you could put up a billboard anywhere, doesn't matter where, what would you put on it and why? It would really be two billboards. It would be split. One side would say, if you woke up on two feet, the rest is cake. I like that. Because. What kind of cake? No, just kidding. <laughs> I, don't get to eat, I don't get to eat it. So. Ah, shit. I don't get to eat cake. I get to live vicariously. Yesterday, we had a 60th birthday for Lori Pellerin for one of my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Lori. <laughs> happy birthday, Lori. I haven't met you, but happy birthday. And I, I, I went and bought a cake for the party, and I told the guys, I was like, listen, I'm living vicariously, so if I look like I want to chew your tongue out of your mouth, it's because I do. <laughs> <laughs> They all laughed, and then one of them went to take a bite, and he like put it down for a minute, and I was like, put that shit in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other side of the billboard would speak truth to power, and it would say taxation is theft. <laughs> taxation is theft. Just like your intro, a staunch libertarian. Staunch libertarian. Yeah. And to the guys that I work with, uh, thank you for dealing with my shenanigans through this. Donahue and... Lee and Jeremy and Paul and Lori, love y'all. Um, 
y'all are like family to me and you've helped me immensely through this entire process. Love the shout outs. Love the shout outs. Here, question number five. And I, Matt oh, Rivers. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I forgot yeah. you, Matt. Matt Rivers. So quiet. There it is. All the time. But not forgotten. But you definitely not forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> question number five. What's a piece of advice that you would give to your 18-year-old self? You just signed up for magazine sales, right, at that time. But what's a piece of advice you would go back and give to your 18-year-old self if you could? Oh, that's a good question. I think that the piece of advice that I would give myself is just go with the flow. Mm. Don't get angry. Learn from your mistakes. It took me so long to realize that learning from your mistakes is growing. That is the growth. Exactly. And um, It doesn't always feel like it, but it is. No, it doesn't. But learning from errors is growth. For sure. For sure. Question number six, the big enchilada. I really, really like this question. You've heard it before, listeners. This is a Stories of Gumption Board of Directors question. So, Isaac, here we go. Number six, if we could assemble a three-person board of directors to guide and mentor you through the rest of your life, they can be alive, deceased, famous, or not, but who would those three people be on your personal board of directors and why? First one would be Dr. Ron Paul, who was a congressman from Texas Mm -hmm. who has since retired, Mm -hmm. Um, staunch libertarian and big moral advocate to my political beliefs and personal beliefs and my moral fortitude. Ran for president. Ran for president three times. Twice I worked for him. Oh, you Um, worked for him. Podcast for another day, I suppose. Podcast for another day. Um, The second would be my... Now past grandfather, James Smith, Mm -hmm. he always encouraged me to think outside the box, think for myself, learn something new, and loved to pit my grandmother against me just (laughs) just to watch the argument ensue. And that's where I learned how to have a conversation with people that I disagree with. Mm. And it's so important to have a conversation and see another person's point of view, even when you know they are wrong. (laughs) I like it. And lastly would be Nikola Tesla. Oh, there you go. Imagine where we would be right now as a country if Tesla beat out Westinghouse. (laughs) Right? I mean, just crazy. Crazy. I mean... It just blows my mind that the genius of Tesla and the brain that that man had. Now, here's the deal. I think Einstein was more intelligent Mm. all around. Mm. Okay, all right. I think Tesla had a brain that functioned more as to physical goods. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, But Tesla would be my third member. Fantastic, yet very interesting board of directors. I'm picturing Ron Paul. I don't know your grandfather, but sounds like a stand-up guy. Great man. And then sitting with Tesla. Yeah, he'd have loved room. Tesla, too. He'd have been like, you're wrong on the TV remote. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, great episode. Great episode. A lot of life lessons. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really glad we did this, and I'm really glad you got to share your story as it's coming if you remember and you didn't really mention this in the beginning i asked you to do this podcast quite a while ago and you turned me down i did 
And I think it was because you knew how great it would be to do it now. You asked me to do this before I even went to Mexico. Yeah. And while I was not nervous about, I don't know, I can't explain why. I wasn't nervous about any bit of this at all. I mean, nothing. Not even being rolled into the OR. None of it made me nervous. But my thought was, if I die on the table, this will be hilarious um, to do this podcast and then go die in Mexico, right? And I was just like, it's going to help people so much more just to hold off on this a little more. I respect you so much for agreeing to hold off on this. Mm. At three months, uh, I came to you at three months and said, now's the time. And you were like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I appreciate you inviting me on to your awesome podcast and allowing me this opportunity to share my story and hopefully help somebody else. I love it, man. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on. Great episode, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, This has been another episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Special thank you to our supporting sponsors, Open Gate Farmstead. Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Open Gate Farmstead. Uh, Kavanaugh Realty, hashtag local matters. Local matters with a shamrock. That's it. And then the third, ADK Mindfulness. Don't forget. They are doing the MBSR course legit here in Plattsburgh at Valcor Brewing Company starting in November. Check it out. There's a free informational session coming up. You can find out all about it on the adirondackmindfulness.org, I believe. I don't remember from the beginning. Adirondack Mindfulness website. Check it out, though. It's, it's worth it. This has been another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Ryan. Love you, bro. Peace.